Hey everyone, welcome to Ben Better, How About You? I'm your host, Katie Nara, and I've suffered from depression nearly my entire life. It sucks. This is a podcast that focuses on mental health broken down in a relatable way and told through personal experiences. P.S. I'm not a doctor, but each week my guests and I will cover everything from recognizing symptoms of anxiety and depression to providing accessible tips, tools, and resources that support mental wellness. So get your weekly prescription with me. Hey everyone, welcome back to Ben Better, How About You? Today I'm joined by the man, the myth, the legend, Bobby Hundreds. Bobby Hundreds, a.k.a. Bobby Kim, is the co-founder of the brand The Hundreds, which began in 2003. He is also an illustrator, documentarian, and writer of This Is Not a T-Shirt. Bobby lives in Los Angeles with his wife and two sons. Bobby and I have been friends in real life and on social. He has a unique way of truly connecting with people he knows in real life, socially, and through his work. His voice has penetrated different communities through his art as well as through the way he lives his life. His brand, The Hundreds, means strength in numbers, which is funny because when it comes to mental health, there's strength in numbers. Hey, Bobby, how are you? I'm great now. Thank you. I'm You're good. great now? I'm great now. Yeah, this is good. We were just saying that we have a little bit of adrenaline going. We're excited. Yeah. We need this. We need this right now. I've been looking forward to this. You have? Yeah. You, you were commenting on our how we both want to sit on an angle. Yes. So we're right now we're recording in my office here in Vernon, which is just southeast of downtown LA. And we're in my office within my larger office and we're sitting at a rectangle table and we're angled. We are six feet apart. We're six feet apart. We're being conscious of distancing, but we're sitting at an angle and Katie was remarking that it's something that she prefers to do. And I do the same. When I sit across from someone, I don't really like to hit them head on. I'm, I come out of askew. And I think for me, I do it because I have a fear of intimacy where I don't want to fully give the person in front of me everything yet. And then once I warm up to them, I will kind of square up better. And are you yeah. saying I have a fear of intimacy? I don't, I'm not psychoanalyzing you. This has just come from years of trying to figure out why when I sit down across from someone at dinner, I sit to the side of them. I do it with even my wife. Half the time, I will sit, uh, we have a rectangle, and I'll sit on one side, and she, like, we won't sit across from each other, I'll take an edge. And it's just, like, it's just how I sit in meetings and with everything, because I'm just a scared little boy at the end of the day. <laughs> it's been hurt so much. I've got a tender little heart and being protective, but I don't know. I think that's what it is. Maybe I'm thinking too much about it. Okay. Yeah. Well, I definitely have intimacy issues, but... Um... We will need many episodes to talk about that. I would love to get started anytime. With, <laughs> I just want to interview Katie. I'm actually much more curious about what well, I feel like I'm going to learn much more about you than the other way around today. All right. Well, um, on another day, but on this is question number one. Okay. Okay. Um, on Labor Day, you posted the following. I'm paraphrasing. Yeah. I want to address the disturbing number of Americans without jobs, having trouble finding work, or worrying about stimulus payments. Uh, For those of you feeling alone or anxious in this job market, if this speaks to you, Mm. I I want you to know that you are not alone. So why Mm. did you feel this was important to say, and what kind of feedback did you receive? I think it's, uh, I mean, like I said, it's something that, 
I see becoming more of an alarming problem, especially amidst the pandemic, but uh, just overall in general, I think there's an issue. We're looking at a future of automated jobs, machine learned jobs, AI and algorithms taking over and replacing a lot of really important human occupations and careers. But just looking around me, the significant wealth disparity, wealth inequality within my own community, but also within the larger country and the world, I think is attributing to most of our problems that we're taking out on each other that have really nothing to do with that as opposed to something like, you know, a a bazillionaire, you know, all the billionaires owning like 80% of the wealth or 90% of the wealth, and that's only going to a few people. So that trickles down to when I look out into my immediate neighborhoods and communities and hearing a lot of stories from friends and family who are having trouble working right now, I think a lot of it's just joblessness and unemployment are hard to talk about, you know, especially in American culture, our jobs are so entwined with our identity and our sense of value and worth. And that's just the American spirit, you know, the entrepreneurial spirit or whatever it is. But when people lose their jobs, it's humiliating. They feel like they're disconnected from who they are as people. They're, they're disconnected from their relationships, and they're really ashamed. And because of that, no one really wants to talk about it. But I think we should address it because more people are without work or struggling than are admitting it. And once we realize that we are all collectively sharing in this hardship and this problem, then I think the better we'll feel and the better we'll be equipped to move forward. Because even if you have a job right now or a career, um, it is really difficult, I mean, unless you're a complete sociopath, to enjoy your existence right now knowing that other people are suffering. And so I'm in a really great, um, fortunate position where I have a job, where I'm able to employ good friends and family. And I've learned a lot, and I don't know all the answers, but whatever I've learned, I'm more than willing to share with people in order to get them to a better place. Like, I think we, that essay ended it with, we all need to do whatever we can right now with the resources that we've acquired, with the blessings that we've received to help as many people. And so if my gifts are that I really kind of helped, you know, I built this thing from nothing with my friend Ben in the next office over there. I was lucky enough to have that, like, then I need to share that with, you know, no one's holding a gun in my head and saying you have to share whatever you've learned. I genuinely want to do it because I don't want to live in a world where I'm the only one winning when at the sake of everyone else, you know, sacrificing. So I just want to be able to, I think everyone needs to help each other and like, this is where I can help. I don't have a lot of skill sets in other places. You know, I'm not like super talented of a person, but I do know that I I know how to build a brand. I know how to build a small business. Like, so if anyone needs help with that, like I want to help. And so that's what that post was. I just gave some tips on how to go about finding jobs. And a lot of people don't know that stuff. Like they think, oh, you get a job by, you know, you put a resume together and you upload it to monster.com. And I'm like, no, most people I know who are largely successful in life got their jobs through networking. And that's not something they teach, right? They don't teach you that. It's But 
you have to know how to cultivate your network and build relationships with people in your community. Like that's how you're going to get further in life. Bobby's being really modest because we are currently sitting in a 90,000 square foot warehouse uh, that is all because of a brand that he built from the Mm. ground up. So you're very talented. Uh, Yeah, sure. Yes. There's talent and then there's just... Luck? There's luck. There's... Uh, a certain amount of work ethic, which I'm not the hardest working person, but I have a certain amount of work ethic. Really? I don't. I'm, you don't consider yourself a hard worker? I've, I think there's much harder workers out there. Smart I'm, worker. I can be smart. I think I, I honestly get lucky a lot. I think I sit at a confluence of different events, and you know, I just happened to grow up at a time when the internet was formulating, and I was curious right. about that. And so when bloggers started, I started a blog. You know, and it just like there was a bunch of different things I pick up along the way. Maybe I know where to exercise and utilize the gifts that I have at the right moments. But I think if I'm gifted in any way, it's in, again, knowing how to cultivate and maintain relationships. Like, I think those are my strengths. Like, those are my assets. It's not I'm not the smartest person in the room, but I have probably the most diverse set of interesting friends, not the most powerful or the richest, but the ones that are truly intriguing as people. And that has helped me to get to where I am today. And also just the most empathetic understanding people who support what I do. Right. Right. So whenever people ask, they're like, well, you do so much or how do you do this? I'm like, the only reason why is because I'm surrounded by really good people who want to see me win and totally understand when I have to disappear for a little bit because I'm diving into a project or whatever. We all know people who are good at what they do but are surrounded by bad people or just poor relationships. And they, right, or get further ahead at what they do because they sacrifice yeah. maybe their moral code or... Yeah, that's yeah. exactly. And so um, to me, that's not... Even if there's success, I don't know if there's happiness there. I'd much rather just have built really lasting, um, strong, you know, robust relationships with people to live like a really good, satisfying life. Like that's, so that's my ideas of success is that I have that, uh, again, like I don't have most money or the gifts or the talents or anything, but I do think I I am surrounded by some of the best people. So, and that's why you really back to why you post that because you want to share that. Yeah. So I would imagine, or I feel like even the comments I saw, the feedback was very positive. Like people tend to reach out to you. Yeah. And want your advice. Always. Yes. Right? You have your phone number. Yeah. You can is text that your me. Real phone number? Well, it's my community number, but it is my phone number in a way where it, uh, I'm getting all the texts. And I am you personally responding. you anxiety from that? I, get, I actually feel a real sense of purpose. Right. In having that. Right. There is an anxiety and I have to keep up I, I get thousands of texts right but I don't know I think I really enjoy doing it I I don't think I would be doing what I have today if I didn't have my community and they learn so much from them you know when I do I started doing that texting thing because um, last year I had like 25 or 30 tour stops from my book you know mm-hmm. speaking in front of audiences of like 500 people at a college or something And it really helped me to um, kind of volley a lot of this discourse. When you come and see me do a talk, it's not really me doing like a spiel and then, you know, everyone just leaves. It's not that at all. Like I get up there and I really 
work with everyone in the audience because I'm so much more curious about them and I need to learn from them. And so I always leave those things feeling like I gained more knowledge than they ever had, you know, that they got from me. I'm like, right. I don't even know. I'm like, what? I built a streetwear brand, but I learned someone else's, like, I deep dive into someone else's story, and I'm like, wow, that helped shape my perspective. So I was able to do that all last year, and then this year we don't have it with COVID. And so I was like, how am I going to get that same type of engagement? And, like, how will I be able to challenge my intellectualism if I don't have this correspondence with people. Right. And so that's why I opened up the numbers because I was just like, I want to get into these really deep conversations with people so I can understand. I think it's the only way I've been able to make sense of the chaos of this year. Right. Just the circumstances of the disease or the circumstances of politics or a social condition right now is that... I'm so inside the minds of thousands of people that I text constantly that I have a pretty well-rounded understanding of where humanity is at right now, in my opinion. Right. So that's why I do it, because I just want to, I'm like, if you don't talk to anybody, if you don't have friendships or you don't ever really get to know anybody, a lot of what's happening right now in the world is completely nonsensical. But it takes, so for example, I'm not a Trump supporter, but I have a lot of friends who support Trump, and I sit down with them, and I really get to explore a lot of their opinions and how they've built ideas around what Trump is. Not doesn't help me agree anymore with what Trump represents, but it helps me understand the person who's holding those ideas. Yeah. And so if I can multiply that across like 5,000 people all the time. Yeah. Like I have such a deeper empathy and compassion for anything that anybody is saying, you know, I completely, we are not going to get on a political tangent, but I completely agree with what you're saying. And that, I think that's a really good point. Cause I think especially in LA or any of the big cities, people live in a bubble. Yeah. And instead of listening to why someone may support someone else, they're just like, that's wrong. That's yeah. awful. And then it makes you no better than Trump. 100%. Where when you yeah. actually will hear why anyone's coming from where they're coming. And I don't support Trump. I didn't vote for him. But I still yeah. I'm interested in why people do things. Yeah. You know, yeah. less than you are. You seem way more tolerant of a lot of people than I am. Maybe. I'm a little jealous of. <laughs> um, but I, I'm very interested in what makes people tick. And, and yeah, I think when you hear more of why someone voted this way or why they do this for their family... You have more, I don't think empathy is a word, but you have more of an understanding like, oh, well, that's why they think that. Mm -hmm. Like maybe they're super mm -hmm. religious and yeah. they were raised not believing in abortion or, you know, like certain 100%. things. Single issues, yeah. Yeah, this has nothing to do with mm. economics or it's just religion. Yeah. And I think that's yeah. hard for a lot of Americans. Like that's a hard pill for people to swallow when you bring it up is. abortion, yep. especially people in very liberal states. Yeah. My older brother's a pastor in a big church in Boston, and it was one of the first questions. I was like, why does the right support Trump when we yeah. look at a lot of his behavior? It doesn't match up to a lot of what Christianity stands for. He's like, it's a single issue. just comes down to abortion. It's a pro-life thing. Yeah. And, um, you know, that, that, no pun intended, but that trumps the race issue. That trumps the, the gender, everything. It trumps everything. Immigration. Pun intended. Pun intended. Yeah. yeah, I think it's... It does, and it's kind of like when you bring up religion, 
lot of you can't really argue religion. Well, because Even religion pro life and that, but like religion is fundamental and it's so fundamental. Many it's identity. Yeah. It's generational community. identity. It's exactly. It's their yeah. community. Yeah. So you know, without the religion, they don't have their bonds. Yeah. Um, or maybe acceptance. Yeah, and it's really hard. Yeah. yeah. So it's like, oh, you're not excommunicating them from just a thought process or philosophy, you're excommunicating them from their social network. Like right. they can't even exist in their town if they don't share or understand, you know, have these views. Right. But so, yeah, it's easier. It's always easier to paint someone as a monolith and you're saying you're just this one sided, you're a bad person. You know, you vote this way, you have this view, you're a Christian, you're a bad person or a good person. Yeah. It's much easier to do that, but the world is much darker and bleaker place if we do not allow for there to be nuance in people. Like it's not you can't coat them all with this singular, okay, they someone hates Asian people, okay, you're like a horrible person. I'm like, that is the one part of you, like if and I can why get the you? and why, yeah. like if we can get the full context and if we get the full understanding of the person. I still don't agree with you on that subject, but I believe in you as a human being, that I have hope that you can change, that you have a brain and a heart that's big enough to, you know, to be worked with. And it's just as soon as we start chopping everyone down at like, you know, you're singularly this, It's that's where hopelessness sets in because we're not not allowing the full definition of people. We're not allowing room for change. We're not allowing room for there to be growth with anybody. Where for the most part, I believe that people we are all in this. We're in process, right? We're in the pursuit of. I'm not whatever I'm saying today. It's going to change tomorrow, and new opinions come with new information. I get a little bit smarter I learn a little bit more I meet more people and then my opinions change a little bit more and more 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 again whatever reason right now we are really trying to hold people to something that they said once or how they feel today or this is how you think so this is this means everything but you cannot confine people in these categories or in these ideas of like where they are in that current moment or where they were it's like like the cancel culture it's so tiring same. It's, it's like we need to allow yeah. people make mistakes. to gr- make mistakes and to grow. And right. like that's hope. And so if you cut people down at that, then there's no hope. Like that well, means that we're all human. fixed. And we're not human. Yeah, like that no one's yeah. ever going to have said something dumb or tweeted something dumb. And for me, even just as an artist, like I think it's great when people tweet crazy shit. Mm. Like that's what makes people interesting. Like does everyone yeah. just want to be this super PC super safe person all the time. And I think even like with mental health where if someone gets labeled one way, like they're like, well, they're crazy. It's like, no, maybe they're just struggling with something, Mm. you know? And it's not like you're saying, like it's not black and white. Yeah. 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 I agree. I think that we're very nuanced creatures and the more we acknowledge that in others, the more we allow that for ourselves. And um, I don't know. It's just that's the hardest part for me is to watch people just limit. I talk about it in the book, but 
um, racism, which, which Katie read, which is uh, again is always amazing when people read the book. But yes, so it's talking about racism, it's like racism again. It, what it does is it stunts someone's an interpretation of somebody. It abbreviates that person into just one thing, and your idea of what that one thing is, instead of allowing them to exist as people. And I think to really enjoy and appreciate life, we have to appreciate people and their wholeness and as humans and as complex people that change and have like can hold different ideas you know opposing ideas sometimes and like that's what life is to allow people to do that racism you're limiting that you know you're stunting that and any type of hate or discrimination stunts that whether it comes from a place of even discriminating against someone like a Trump person, saying like, oh, you're a Trump person, then you, you stand for this or this. And where if you have conversations with many of these Trump supporters, you realize even within them, they are so varied in their opinions of things, and they don't even necessarily yeah. agree with a lot of the rhetoric or a lot of the things. Like they hold opposing thoughts on the matter. And so there's nuance even there. Okay. I think it's really cool you being a straight guy talking about your feelings. Um, there's so many men who are probably feeling the same way as you, who mm. are afraid to say so, or they don't think it's manly to do so. Straight, gay, trans, bi. Why do you think that is? Mm. And then the second part, from your book, you seem to have grown up somewhat traditionally, from yeah. what you said, but yeah. I want, was curious, were your feelings encouraged? And um, being a middle child, I know sometimes... My friends that are middle children, like they feel they have to suck it up or they kind of become the more normal ones yeah. or, or not even normal, but the ones that kind of hold their emotions in. Yeah. Did you feel that way or did you feel that way because maybe you're a, minor, you're a minority or just mm. cuts? So to answer the first part, yes. you said it's cool. And I said, is it cool? <laughs> yes. And the reason why I'm saying is it cool? Yes. I mean, yeah, it's fine. It's cool. I think you mean cool is and it's different. It's Definitely no, not the I think norm. It's cool. Well, I think it should be just normal, right? Right? Like, I, I think it should. It's not anything to like even boast about. I think it's just very bizarre that we are not so as communicative with our feelings as men. We're just terrible communicators. That might be a, a biological. Like men in general, men in general yeah. are really poor communicators. Um, we communicate in in ways that aren't really helpful, but we know how to communicate, but it comes out and manifests manifest in the wrong way. And it might be due to biological wiring. Sure, there's a lot of that. There's a lot of social conditioning, and this is just how we're established societally. But I recognize that I my life would have been more full and complete if I knew how to better communicate uh, how I felt throughout my life. And so since I recognize that now, I'm 40 now, I try to do that with my young audience. I have an audience. The base is really teenage guys and okay. 20-something guys. Okay. And I talk to them and I, I do this texting thing and I sit in my direct messages and I speak with them a lot. And everyone's like, oh, what, they, what do you talk to them about? And I'm like, yeah, I mean, a lot of it is them asking, oh, I want to build a streetwear brand and how do I do that? And I give them advice on career and jobs and stuff. But you'd be... Maybe surprised to know that most of the time they're talking to me about, hey, Bobby, my girl just broke up with me and I don't know what to do. Or I really like this girl and I don't know how to approach her. How do I do this? And there's a real need 
in our world for young men to know that it's okay to navigate a lot of these emotions and feelings and like see leadership and how it's done. I wish it was something that we could even teach in schools. I think it is such a fundamentally important part of experiencing the world and like growing and like learning, but it is just not really quite encouraged. And I think, yeah, probably because there is this sexist element of it being emasculating to talk about your feelings or whatever. But to me, the people around me who are the most emotionally resilient and the most in touch with their feelings happen to be the smartest, strongest, funniest, lightest people that I know. Mm -hmm. And so I'm cognizant of that. I look around and I'm like, these people who are so aware of how they're feeling at, at every time, at every moment, just seem to be able to better adapt to and quickly pivot to respond to how the world is at that given moment. So second question, I grew up in a Korean American household right. with Korean American, with Korean immigrant parents. And yes, like, especially that generation, this isn't just limited to Koreans or immigrants. It's just that generation of men were just not communicative with their feelings. I, we all grew up with Kevin's dad from Wonder Years who just sat at the table and read the newspaper and grunted and just yeah. sat in the Lazy Boy and watched football. Like, that was my dad, too. And so that's how, you know, and um, I grew up with a lot of abuse in the home and I was taught not to cry, you know, and so I don't know how to cry. I just, I've gone through a lot of shit, <laughs> You know, and I can't do it alone. And it's scary and sad, a lot of it. And um, I've realized, and this is something that goes back to your initial point about the Instagram posts, is that you'd be surprised by how many people are willing to help if you ask for it in this world. Like, people are dying to help. People are dying to help you. Yeah. And so... I've realized I'm like, hey, I need help right now. Like, I'm in a really bad place. I have friends who come to the rescue. Yeah. And I would do the same for them. But when you have, like... But it's, it's getting to the point of asking for help. Where yeah. Where many people are... Yeah. They're afraid. They're ashamed. Yeah. Or they feel like, I shouldn't need this help. Like, I don't right. have it that bad. Right. Or yes. Should, there's like I a should, guilt. There's a lot of that. It's like, yeah. you know, I should be happy. Mm-hmm. Or I should be content, but they're not. It's totally fine. No matter what you have and what you've accrued in your life, you're allowed moments of severe unhappiness and depression and angst. And especially look at this life that we're in right now and the cards that we've been dealt, especially this year, like you can allow yourself to be sad. You know, like I had probably the entire month of August was really hard for me and I'm still trying to diagnose why I could barely get out of bed. I had suffered really, really deep depression that month into, into the first part of September. And I think it was just because I was running on fumes up until that point. Cause I was just like, this is going to end, this is going to end and we can get through it. Right. Mm-hmm. So a lot of us had this mentality of like, we can do this. We can, come on, we're strong. We're, we can sustain. And then you get to August and you're like, nothing is changing it's getting worse and you know you're like holy shit this is actually going on yeah this isn't just like a phase like this is forever and then the novelty wore off the novelty wore off yeah and so that was really hard but um 
But have you had yeah. su- su- do you have any history of depression in the past, or you think it was just more co- COVID related? Oh no, no, no! I've had depression my whole life. Okay. Yeah. Welcome to the club. Yeah, I've yes. I've suffered depression my whole life. I spent probably my entire sophomore and junior year in my room in the dark. Really? Yeah. I had uh, a couple suicide attempts. So you so, liked to isolate? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I And I still deal with that today, you know, right. and I'm very aware of it. What do you think, looking back, helped you the most, like, not commit suicide? To go all the way? Yeah. Honestly, I don't my, mean to get so dark. But. No, it's okay. It's my mom literally like holding my hand down while I was holding something, you know, <laughs> like my mom being there or, um, I'm so sorry. Oh, thanks. Yeah. It's, that's really yeah. awesome though that your mom was there. Yeah. My mom was there. Yeah. I put them through hell. I still put them through hell. They're the best. We had a really strained relationship our whole entire lives and still my parents and I, and we still continue to try to figure a lot of that out. But, you know, they, I put them through a lot of hell. I, but beyond that, I, I don't know, by the grace of God, like I believe in God. So I believe that at some point there was some kind of divine intervention at many points in my life that I'm very lucky that I am where I am today. But that doesn't, like, I, I'm but not... you work at it, it sounds like, too. Like, you... I constantly... Therapy, you're yeah. avidly, like... And see, look, so, like... Sorry to interrupt, but... When no. my mom's not there, then my wife is there. Yeah. So, like, when there are moments... Because I can't tell most of the time when I'm, in, when I'm depressed. Up until the point... Up until it gets to the point where I'm literally immobilized. Yeah. And I can't move. And yeah. I'm just in bed going, like, I can't deal with my life. So I'm so in my head all the time. I can't tell. It's my wife and it's these people on the outside who are just like, hey, are you okay right now? And I'm yeah. like, yeah, I'm fine. They're like, really though? Like when was the last time you saw your therapist? I'm like, it's been a long time. Yeah. Call your therapist. So that's my wife. She checks in every now and then. We'll be eating dinner. And she's just like, call up your therapist real quick. And I'm yeah. like, yeah, right, right. Like, am I there? And she's just like, I think you're there. I have all my guys here, some of the girls, like, they all keep me in check, too. They're like, yo, you good? Like, are you good right now? And I'm like, I, okay, right. So because I have that, I have mirrors. I think yeah. also, like, my shrink has described depression kind of brilliantly where it's it's similar to gaining weight. Where mm. When you're gaining weight, you're like, but then you wake up three months later, you're like, how did I just put on 15 pounds? Like, yeah. I haven't left yeah the house that's such a good point in in three months like yeah. but you when you're going through it you don't really recognize it until or for me until you're out of it until like i have increased certain medicine or i'm like wow you know i've done a lot this week or but it's not like i think that's important for people to know it's not like you're waking up every day like i'm so depressed right that's, that's not what everyone's no. depression looks different yes and it can sometimes you catch it at different places or yes. or you can be lucky enough to have, you know, a wife like you have or your your sports system here and there's people that are like, you need to check in with your yeah. doctor yeah. or whoever. Yeah. You've stated that t-shirts are still some of your favorite things to design because of the communicative nature. Is there something you've wanted to try designing that you think can have a similar impact but haven't yet? 
And if so, what? Yeah, I love T-shirts. Yes. Exactly. I lo- it's the base of what we do. Streetwear is hard to define. Everyone has their own interpretation of what streetwear is, but to me it comes down to, at its essence, a graphic T-shirt because a graphic T-shirt evokes a response from the person seeing it and opens up a dialogue. And to me that's really the bloodline. That's like the foundation of what streetwear is about is bridging culture and building culture. And like you can only do that if you have a conversation. So I love the idea of the t-shirt and what it represents and most people who get into streetwear they're graphic artists or just illustrative artists and so they aren't really even coming at it from an approach of being a fashion designer they're really just like I'm an artist and I want people to see my work and I want people to talk about my work and so like that's the romantic ideal of like the graphic t-shirt as far as like what else I would design that would be able to do the same thing you know we design Everything. I make everything here. You know, we make footwear. We just had this huge project with Puma and skateboard decks and, you know, and just worked on um, a couple uh, outerwear pieces with my apparel designer next door. And all of those items and those products can also tell a, design, a story. Mm-hmm. Like they all each in themselves tell their own narrative in different ways and for different, different channels. But... Um, I'm trying to think if there's anything that I've yet to design that I want to, that I haven't had the opportunity to. I, I, um, I guess like you think would... Maybe a house? <laughs> I know, right? Well, the yeah. reach, it's hard because a t-shirt, because of the price a t-shirt can be, it can get yeah. in so many different people's hands, where mm-hmm. obviously if something is more expensive, even certain shoes, you know, like not everyone can buy them. Yeah. I don't know. It was just when I was... When I, was reading that in your book, I was thinking, like, I wonder what else you could design that, and maybe you designed it, I don't know. Yeah. That, that could, or that could be as, uh, I can't, don't want to say that word again, but that could communi- As communicative? Ah, there you go. <laughs> that can be as wow. communicative? Wow, well, look, I, as, yeah. As a t-shirt. Yeah. I just want to say also that Bobby right now is wearing a t-shirt of two, it's very WAP, it's very now, it's two it cats is. Cats on each other, and one cat looks like it's licking the other cats behind. And it's yeah. the hundreds. Um, so it's, I'll tell you, when we t-shirt. were working on this shirt, this is a reference ripped from um, what some. What it say? It Your says. 13? No, it says volume 13, number okay. 8, because it's art that was uh, pulled from, I think, a, like a French kind of adult it's very, like, vintage pink magazine. Almost, yeah. Like, but okay. in my when I saw it the first time when we were compi- when we were um, laying this shirt out compositing it, I was like, oh, it's like two kind of sexy felines on top of the words of hundreds. And I honestly <laughs> didn't. My brain didn't go further than that until Are you kidding me? I swear, because I'm I'm such an angel, and I no, wore this shirt. I, I can't and, and really short sighted. Well, the man, the man I was talking to, one of my my uh, designer heavy over there, we call him heavy. But his name is David. Yeah. David, I showed up this morning. He's like, you know, they're eating ass, and I was yeah. like, oh yes. no, oh my god, I've been wearing this shirt oh, in front of my kids on. at breakfast every morning, really? and I didn't even think. And he's like, well, a kid wouldn't think that because I was like, right, like what and kid is going to look like eleven year old? I think an eleven year old is just like. Why would anyone want to do that? 
that sounds gross. But, a, but you look at that and think the cat is literally these cats are like tossing the salad. Yeah, you're right. Okay. It's pretty tight. Now I like the shirt even more. Okay. Yeah. All right. But, um, but anyway, that's so. Th- this so is this, what you're is, communicating this is this is the communicative. This is the communicative okay. part of the t-shirt. As far as design goes, I'm I don't know. I mean, there's many things. All design to me, all great design, as I talk about in the book starts with an opinion and right. it all starts with a point of view. Um, it's not design. It's uh, kind of art related, but you know, I write, I write and writing. I'm more passionate about writing than I even am about making art and designing at this point in my life. Really? And so, cause you've started basically blogging again. I know like, we're yeah, more articles. I think yeah. that's cool because I feel yeah. like, I mean, I love to read, but so many people, I guess don't, or they want just that quick hit. Yeah. Whether visual or with social media. Yeah. But I love a good article. Yeah. I write for me. Yeah. I design and make clothes for my audience, but the writing is really for me. Right. And so at the beginning of the pandemic, I felt a real urge to start writing again, but not right. I'm writing another book right now. I'm writing a fiction book, but I wanted to write just how I was feeling at that moment. I needed to talk to somebody. I really needed to talk to myself. So I was like, I'm going to fire up a blog, my blog again. And I know that nobody reads blogs anymore and that's okay. I'm not really going to promote it. It's just here for me, um, to have an outlet and to have a stage and to work on different things. And so I, I there's poetry on there there's just random musings. There's funny stuff. But I, I know my audience isn't there and it's probably like, I, I never have checked the numbers on it, but my best writing has always come by way of not being cognizant of an audience. And that's why when we started, when I started writing my blog in 2003, um, I'd already been blogging up a, a three, three or four years before that. And then the, and then the brand really exploded and, you know, from like 2003 to like 2007 or eight. Um, everybody read my blog and I never checked the stats on it. Like I didn't, mm-hmm. we didn't even have Google analytics. So refreshing. It was the best yeah. because it's like, it was so raw and authentically me and transparent. It's like singing in the shower. I just was singing for myself. I didn't care. And when you listen to someone sing in the shower, it's so, it's so like innocent and pure and even if it's not good singing, it's so exactly human in them. Mm-hmm. And that's what I was able to do in my blog every day was write from a point of view where I'm like, I don't care what anyone thinks of what I'm saying. Like, this is me. And because I did that, we built a brand that just was like so different because right. it was like clearly me. And that's a big problem with brands today is that you everything is gamified and put up against a score and there's comparison from the, from the moment you begin and everything is crowdsourced for validation. And so you can't just go out there and put up a piece of art anymore. You have to put it up against and weigh it against other people's opinions of it and then it starts affecting from the moment you build art. Yeah, they're like, what floor are you going to be on? Exactly. Like yeah. Still exactly. And so it's yeah. not just doing it for the sake of, I want to just do this. You're doing it at this, you're doing it collaboratively with your entire population where they all get a little bit of say of what it looks like. And so everything starts looking kind of uniform, you yeah, know, it's saturated. it's saturated and it just looks like what everyone else is making because everyone is just following trends and being affected by trends. 
we, our brands at that time, our entire generation of streetwear brands, everyone felt so idiosyncratic and unique because we weren't being compared and contrasted with anything. It was just purely what we wanted to do. And so my writing still behaves like that. When I write on my blog, I'm like, I don't care if this is going to go viral. Like, this is just how I feel. Like, right. I don't care if people read this poem. I need to do this for myself. And so it's my favorite stuff. You know, it's not where I make my money and it's not, you know, what I'm known for. But I'm like, this is really me. And this is unadulterated Bobby. And then I have the brand and I make clothes that um, I share with right. the rest of the world. And that's okay, too, because that's what we do to make money. We share, we share the art. But the art that's for me, like, that's where I find real meaning. And, I, you know, I need that. I, I think writing is great therapy. Like, mm -hmm. I know whenever I finish writing a script, I'll look at it and I'll have learned something. Or, or sometimes you give someone a script, they're like, oh, these people are, like, so fucked up. You're like, thanks, that's my life. Yeah. Okay. But you, but I, I think you can learn sometimes how you're, or, or maybe even learn how you're really feeling from writing. Yeah. Maybe that's. For me, it too, helps. how you, you know, just yeah. taking it off your chest. I don't know. It's, it is how right? I, it's. Therapeutic. The, therapeutic. And it helps me organize my thoughts. Same way that therapy does. It's right. free therapy. Yeah. Right. <laughs> it, it's, it helps me organize all the chaos in my head and I can see it. Yeah. It's easier to dismiss a lot of the things that are going through your brain or to neglect it or to see past it. It's really hard to ignore it when it's staring at you in front of on a piece of paper. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right? Like if you put it down on paper and you have to look at it, then you have to accept that that's what's happening. And so I get over things a lot quicker when I can help put it down and organize it and it helps me to control the chaos. Especially with like, again, not to go super into politics or just like the state of the world, but a lot of the chaos that's happening outside doesn't make much sense. I feel completely out of control of it. You know, it's really alarming and it creates a lot of fear in my head. When I put it down and I write about it and I organize my thoughts around it on paper, it's not that I've solved any of the problems, but I've framed it within you know, a work where I'm like, okay, that is now digestible and I can put that here. Yeah. Like it doesn't have to be trapped inside my brain anymore. And so I like doing that because then I can be like, that's my feeling on that one. This is how I see this problem. You know, this is how, and so it's just keeping things in order, which right. is a lot of what this is, is the therapeutic work is trying to just organize. And then like, it's also like then you're not dismissing it, but you're yeah. compartmentalizing it in a way that it, it it's like it's it's almost healing. Like it's yeah. like okay, now it doesn't mean it's gone. Yeah, so that that thought never comes back, but it has less power. Yeah. I think when you write something down. Yeah, I think so. However, way I mean, maybe that's how some people feel about tattoos. Like they wanted to get a tattoo because of yeah someone that passed away or an important time in their life, and then they feel like that's been honored and I can move yeah. On. It's like my version of getting bangs when I feel like I, I can't control. Say it's my version of getting banged. <laughs> or probably that too. Okay. But just in a way of, well, getting bangs in a way of, I can't control what's happening out there, so I know how, but I can control my hair. So, if, <laughs> you know, like this is a narrative I'm going to tell. It's really just about spinning or your like own. like men, like yeah. I feel like you've always had different colored hair or like the, yeah. the blonde tips. This was so it's always been your look, right? Pure pandemic response was... Oh, so this also was pandemic because so many men are, are bleaching their hair. 
Yeah, this, that's a purely pandemic thing. That's our version of getting bangs. Really? Bangs, not banged. Okay. Oh, yes. 100%. It's, but I thought you've I can't, always kind of experimented with I, hair, So, right? for Wigs? my youth, okay. I always had crazy different colored hair. Okay. In the span of working on the hundreds, I stopped. And so the people who know me through the hundreds era of my life just know me for having just normal like black hair I wear a hat okay. every day. But when the pandemic started off, I was like, it doesn't matter. Nothing matters. Okay. I want to change my hair because it's the only thing I know how to change right now because I can't change the rest of the world. Okay. It's just so another version of that. say to women out there, if your man is bleaching your hair... He's out of control. He's out of control. And you need 100%. to 100%. He might be stoic and be like, nothing's phasing me. But if he's fucking yep. with his hair... Problems. There's some real... Everything's in disarray. Okay. 100%. Check in with your man anyways, because I can guarantee you he is really hurting and freaking the fuck out because as dudes, we're not allowed to show that a lot of this is completely freakish and alarming. And so we're like, we have to feel like, especially as dads, like we have everything under control and don't worry, son, dad's got this and I know what to do. We're all like laying awake in bed in the middle of the night going like, holy shit, what's going on? And talking to our friends, like, what are you doing? Are you stalking, you know, like, Bitcoin? I don't know. <laughs> what a guy And I would know. like to go a step further yeah. and say, women, give your man a blowjob. That would, hey, that would really help. Because a friend of mine recently told me she only gives her man a blowjob once a year. That's On <laughs> his birthday? I... I, look. It is, um, that is a... I'm not going to say who. Yes. But I, <laughs> I, um, that was scary to me and I'm not even a man. There would be, uh, less, there would be less violence and <laughs> less hatred in this world. If there were more blowjobs. If there were more blowjobs going okay. around. Because that is a completely selfless act that only one person in the equation is probably getting any fulfillment or enjoyment <laughs> out of that. So that is like entirely selfless. Okay. I'm assuming for If you ever run for office, this yes. could be your slogan. That'll be the slate I, I ride in on. <laughs> it would help. Anything you can do for your man right now who is too afraid to show or doesn't know how to show that they're scared. Unless with bleach. Okay. Thank you so much for tuning into this week's episode of Ben Better. How about you? And guess what? We get even more Bobby next week. This was just part one. Be sure to catch part two next Wednesday. Have a good week. Bye.